All right, if I haven't uh, met you yet, my name is Scott. We're a church of many campuses, and you've come here to our Palouse campus of Canyon Creek Church. Excited that you're here. Um, today, again, we're starting a new message series called Crazy Makers. Um, it's, uh, it's a series on dealing with difficult people. And during the series, you're going to probably find yourself falling into one category or another. And let me just kind of give you a little bit of a roadmap of what this is going to look like as it plays out uh, from Scripture, how we're going to deal with difficult people. The Bible has a lot to say, and a lot of really good narrative sections of Scripture are kind of around this concept of dealing with people who are very, very difficult. Today, we're going to be looking at demanding and controlling people. These are the little dictators of life. Uh, you know, they're the people that love to control every aspect, like what you look like, where you go. They're just in every area of your life, sort of bossy. Um, they're making constant demands on your attention, your time, uh, your, your schedule. They're, you know, they're always into your business. Uh, these are demanding, uh, controlling people. And these are the kinds of people that try to get you to do and to be what they conceive of your life becoming. They just tend to push and push and push and that's kind of the hallmark of that. We'll be talking more about them in just a moment. But also, number two, in the second week uh, of the series, we're going to be talking about disapproving people. These are the folks that are nitpickers. They're super highly critical. Uh, your best is just never good enough with, with them. They, they're always wanting more from you. They tend to be a little on the negative side. So if you've run into people like that, just super negative, that high judgment uh, in their personality traits, they love to point out your mistakes, and no matter what you do, it's just simply not good enough. Those are disapproving types, and so that's going to be week two of the series. And uh, re week three is deafening. These are the loud folks. Anybody been around somebody that they're just like super loud? They have like one volume, and that's high. Um, they love to dominate conversations. If you ever get in one, they never talk. They never listen. Rather, they just always talk, and everything relates to some experience in their life. They have one volume. If you get them on the phone, you know you're going to be on for at least 15 minutes, so that's the kind of person you just like put them on speakerphone, and you eat your lunch, and you just listen to them talk. They just kind of keep talking, and you ever you sort of feel like with them, like you surrender a little bit, just kind of surrender a little bit of who you are. They're relentless arguers. People like, you know, do you, do you know anybody like that? They just will argue anything. They're deafening. And eventually, again, you just want to give up, surrender. So that's that. In week four, we're going to talk about sort of the destructive people. And hopefully there's not too many of those in your life because they can be very dangerous. This is the kind of person who has an uncontrollable uh, anger. They're the volcanoes. Uh, they, they, you never know what they're going to do um, or when they're going to erupt, but you kind of always expect that it might ha happen, and you never know what's going to trigger it. You just kind of walk around on eggshells around this sort of destructive person because they're really super dangerous, and, and, and it can just erupt at any time. And so you, you just, again, never know what can set off a dangerous person destructive person. Then finally, in number five, like hopefully you don't have too many destructive uh, people in your lives, but you probably have a lot of discontented people. Discontented is some, sometimes that's a big category because we tend to sort of move in and out of this one fluidly. Uh, these are people who get their feelings hurt super easily. They're, um, and at times, many of us can be like that. We're just really touchy or thin-skinned, um, easily offended, just not content with anything. Like if you're in a room with a discontented person, they're always thinking about the next thing that they have to do. It's not like they're not present in the moment, but they're always like, well, what are we going to have for lunch? And then after that, like, you know, they're at lunch, but then they're not enjoying their lunch because they're thinking what's going to happen for dinner. And then, you know, there's always, they're just discontented no matter what space they're in. 
Uh, we're going to talk about that kind of person. And then uh, six is demeaning people. These are, this is a really fun one. You just don't know you love people like this. They're rude and insulting, and they, they are just love to put you down all the time. They're, you know, use, social media is built for these type of people. Like, it's a whole framework where they can just kind of get mad online and throw little anonymous barbs. Or maybe you know this person, and they just use social media to kind of burst bubbles. Ever notice that? Like, you know, they get into arguments, and then they'll just, like, throw in a grenade, and they'll move away. You know, they just love to tear down dreams and to sort of deconstruct and to dissect, like, important things. Like, they love to take sacred cows and just slaughter them, you know? These are demeaning people. They get, like, actual joy in letting you know how you don't measure up. These are demeaning people, you know? You're never going to amount to anything. They're disrespectful. They're petty and they're mean, and, and you know what? A few of us even occasionally have become this person at different times. And let me just tell you that you might be one of these people. In fact, if you're checking off, you're like, oh, I'm gonna like three out of four, you know, four out of six, you know, that, that's, that's pretty good, you know, because if you've been one of these people at various times, this is not a sermon series where we're gonna go around talking about the others. We're gonna always bring it back to ourselves. But the main question is this, the, the whole question that we're going to deal with is how do we love these people? Because honestly, we're not about building walls. Uh, that, that's a really dangerous concept is that every time you encounter one of these people that you build a wall and you protect yourself from them. And I'm not going to give you tools to t teach you how to construct a big wall around your life so that you don't have to deal with these people. The question is, is how do you love all kinds of people that make you crazy in life? Because real life is that in any circumstance that you're in, business, school, relationships, that are worthwhile, you're going to come into conflict and you're going to come into uh, a situation where you're going to rub shoulders with really hard people, difficult personalities. Uh, and today, as we look at demanding, controlling people, uh, I want to ask you this question. How do we love those who are controlling? How do we help them to find life and to find it more abundantly? How do we understand how we can engage with people who are control freaks and come out better in the end? So how many of you guys know somebody who can be a control freak? Raise your hands. Just go ahead and raise your hands. It's fine. Go ahead and raise them. Okay, cool. Now, for those of you guys that raised your hand and the person next to you reached up and grabbed your hand and pulled it down, you might be sitting next to a control freak. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is ultimately, it's kind of funny, but many of us have been really hurt by this personality type. Many of us have lived in a relationship with somebody that has been controlling, and that can really erode our confidence, and it can really make life miserable, to say the least. But in a, in a real potent sense, some are in a, in, in a position of authority, in, perhaps in your life, and have abused that. And so in their authority role, intentionally or not, they've tried to control you, and maybe there's even been some abuse and some hurt in regards to this area. So I realize that it's a very sensitive, real area. And another one thing I was going to say, too, before we go on any further, is that I'm not really simply talking about the people you have casual contact with. Like, you know, you run into a customer, and the customer's irate, very difficult, controlling person, or whatever. You know, it might help you in that regard, but the thing I want to talk about is those connections with people in your life that are fairly static. You know, they're the, they're the close relationships, family members, friends, maybe parents. You, you didn't choose these people in many cases, but you have to learn how to live in harmony with them. 
in an optimal way, but you can't just walk away. Uh, so, so again, uh, you might find this helpful in the casual relationships, but my hope is, my prayer is, is that it will deepen the real meaningful relationships in your life with people that can be in these categories. So demanding, controlling people. These are folks that are just honestly an emotional black hole. You know, they, they tend to suck everything in, but they don't emit anything out. And so emotionally, it's just pouring in, pouring in. No matter what you do, you're constantly pouring in, giving them attention. You know, they're cra- and, and when you give them the attention, they just crave more. They just want more. They're just this bottomless pit. And, and we, when we don't give them what they want, they just kind of like sometimes will pout a little bit and whine or complain. Maybe they'll just give you the silent treatment or walk away. A controlling person doesn't like to uh, be slighted in any way. And all the time, you know, you, you, you just sort of walk on eggshells around this person really carefully because you don't want to, like a, somebody that's dominating and, 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 and controlling and demanding is a very difficult person if they're not getting their way. So sometimes it's easy just to give them their way, right? And to let them be a tyrant for a while. And if you're thinking about somebody, if you're thinking about this particular person, and many of you are, you're sort of formulating in your mind who that is, think about them, just don't point at them, and uh, it might be helpful to you. And then at the end, I'm going to challenge you to think about a different person in a different way. How do we love those who demand and control? Let's set a little bit of a foundation in understanding who these people are and uh, what weapons they have. Uh, They wield them in very uncomfortable, divisive ways. So the first kind of weapon that they have is, is, uh, is threats. So just either overtly um, or covert threats. Um, and, and the second one is guilt. So threats look like this. So, you know, you better do it or you will regret it. Either you do it or you will regret it. That's a threat. I will break up with you if, and then there's the threat. And so the demands are then stated after that. Uh, if you want to keep your job, you will do X, Y, and Z for me. Just, so it's a tradition of, of employment. Do you, and how about this one? Do you want to make me angry? Anybody ever heard of that? Do you really want to see me when I'm angry? Do you want to, do you want to make me angry? And it's that kind of implicit threat there. And it's not necessarily that th- these people are bad. Like, you know, we've all used uh, subsets of th- these kinds of threats in our lives, and we've employed them in circumstances. And so we just have to own that in various times we're trying to use threats to obtain our, a goal. So what about guilt? Guilt is even more kind of insidious because it's almost more subtle, but a guilty, uh, somebody that uses guilt to try to control would say things like, oh, you know, after all, I, after all I've done for you, it's a classic parent line. I think I probably said it to my son, poor kid, you know, you, but you won't do this one thing for me. Like after all I've sacrificed for you, you, you know, you, you have, you wouldn't do this one thing for me. How about this one? Anybody had a friend that just says, oh, I thought we were friends. You know, you didn't do what I want. Oh, I thought we were friends. Kind of that passive aggressive thing. Like, oh, I guess I was wrong. Um, this one, like, oh, oh, what kind of Christian are you? You know, because a Christian wouldn't do that to me. And so they'll use that angle. You never call me. You must be, you know, you know too busy for me. Uh, you don't love me. That's, that's, that's one right there, using the guilt. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I mean, I, if I were dead for two weeks, 
you know, and marauding in my house, and, and, and nobody would even know, you know, like, I, it's just that poor kind of like granny, you know, nobody ever visits me, you know, they're just, guilt is like, and we, listen, again, we all employ this trick. It's, it's, not, it's not a specific personality type that owns this, but man, it is something that we all know how to wield at various times. But the question is, is for that person that is, is always controlling, how do we love those who intentionally or not, we're going to talk about intent in a minute, but they're trying to control and manipulate our lives. They're trying to impose their way of thinking upon us. And uh, the way that I want to look at this in all of these personality types is go into the Bible, not to go into psychology or not to go into psychiatry or anything, um, but into the story of Matthew. There's this really beautiful exchange between Matthew and Jesus where Jesus is laying out in very clear terms what his mission is. He's explaining clearly what he must do. He, he said, I must do the will of the Father who sent me. He said, I've got to do the will of the Father in my life. And so then what happens is Peter sort of unintentionally takes that information and he tries to take control of Jesus. Can you believe it? You'll see in a second what he does is he tries to distract Jesus from what God wants from him. So let's look in Matthew 16. We're going to be here the whole time today. So if you open up your Bibles to Matthew 16, and let's begin in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and, after, and, and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and then to be killed, and on the third day to be raised. So he's saying, look, it's going to get bloody. I'm going to die. I'm going to, you know, we know the story, right? We celebrated it last week. He's risen. He's alive. And he says, I have to suffer and die, and I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. Uh, super clear about that. Then, then Peter looks on and he says, wait, no, you don't. There's no way that's going to happen, Jesus. This cannot happen to you. In verse 22, Peter took him aside. He drew Jesus aside and he began to rebuke Jesus. And he said, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Far be it from you, Lord. This is, I'm not going to allow this to happen. And one thing I would have to say about this is demanding, controlling people often try to isolate you and to take you aside away from others. They don't want anybody else to speak into your life. They want to be the primary input into your life. And that, that's what Peter did. He's trying to impose his will on Jesus. So he separates. He doesn't want others to have input. Only he wants to have input. This is the pattern. This is the modus operandi of a control freak. They want to take you away from the, where you're at in the situation that you're at and the people you're around in your social context, and they want to begin to isolate you. This is the, uh, this is the way, an indication of like a cult, for example. One of the, the attributes of a cult is that, hey, don't talk to anyone outside the group. They're bad. We're the good people. Don't interact with them. Don't be missional. Don't go out and speak to them. Don't let people influence you. Certainly don't engage in arguments because you're always right, right? And that's, that's kind of like the, the very cultish way of doing things is to isolate you. But Peter says, you know, in, in a sense, like what he's saying to Jesus is, uh, you know, this isn't what I want. What you said, you know, dying, suffering, uh, that, I, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm not going to allow this to happen. I'm just not. And in verse 23, Jesus gets his response, and it's kind of it's crazy, right? He turns to Peter in verse 23, and he says, get behind me, Satan. 
Like, uh, that's intense, right? I mean, Jesus must be all soft-spoken, you know, and he's handing out daisies, and he's got his sandals on, and he just wants to hug everybody. And all of a sudden, he's like, get thee behind me, Satan. And you're like, wow, that's Jesus, right? And, and, and he's mad. He's really mad. And he says, you're a hindrance to me. You are actually not helping Peter. You're, you're not, so you're setting your minds on, not on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then he told his disciples, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the question is, how do we love those who are trying to demand from us, control us, and manipulate us? And again, this isn't a person that's always controlling or always demanding or always manipulating, but they're trying to knock us off of a specific thing. There's three things that we need to know. And from the story, I want to show you these three, three things that we need to know. We need to know them in order to love these people. The first thing that you need to know is know what you're called to do. So important. Critical component is that you know what you're called to do. Jesus was so clear what his calling was, it, 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 what his perfect mission was. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. What did that look like? He elaborates. He goes on, I did not come for the healthy, but I did come for the sick. He, he said it clearly. I did not come for the righteous. I did come for the sinners. I did not come to be served by others. I came, I did come to serve. And he says, I came to save the lost by giving my life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus was describing to Peter. For you to love those who are trying to control you, it's so important for you to define your calling, your sense of purpose, that area in your life which is non-negotiable. That if you got knocked off of this, you just wouldn't be happy, you wouldn't be satisfied, your life wouldn't have any meaning. You need to find out what that is. And let me just tell you this, that it's not only the case in, in, in relationship to the controlling person, you have, to, uh, you have to understand this in life if you're gonna have any meaning and purpose at all. You know, men, women, we have to have a mission. People, we have got to get our eyes on a mission from God. And I'm, I'm here to tell you too that I don't think that calling in the sense of what I'm saying here, knowing what you're called to do, is that grandiose, right? What I'm not talking about necessarily is that you got to be like a missionary to Uzbekistan or go pour out your life in some foreign mission field or anything like that or become a pastor. I'm not talking about anything grandiose, but just in a very basic sense. Our calling isn't always specific, but it relates very, very much to the people that are closest to us. You know, your calling might be to love your wife. Your calling might be to be the best student possible or to lead your children. Uh, your calling might be to finish well in school, to graduate. Your calling might be to teach or to, or to preach or to uh, be an engineer, whatever your calling is. Now, so what is my calling? Well, I have like three that are overarching. First of all, obviously, I love Jesus, and my calling is to love and enjoy him forever. That's over all of us, hopefully, as followers of Jesus. But beneath that, my calling number one is to love and serve and pour out my life and even to give my life for my bride, Sarah, the, the woman that God has given me for my life. That's my calling. The second calling in my life is to lead my son, is to lead him and to lead him to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I firmly believe that's my calling. And then the third calling that I have is to shepherd the flock that God has given me. That's all of you. That's this church. And to lead this church has been honestly one of the great privileges of my life. And I know that this is part of my calling. 
This is so clear to me. And it's my calling. It is what God has built me for, what he has created me for. That's not your calling. Your calling is different than my calling. It, it, it's not my calling to be you. It's not your calling to be me. You need to find out what that is. Why am I saying that? Well, it's because when we, when we walk outside of our calling, we don't understand it. Like, like me, we tend to become people pleasers. And we start looking at what other people are saying and thinking about us. Uh, how many of you guys are, are people pleasers? Like any of you want to raise your hands and admit to that right now? Yeah, some courageous people in there. How many of you guys raised your hands just to make me feel better? Anybody? <laughs> okay, no. You know, and, and the thing is, is we, it's, it's funny, but it's like people-pleasing is kind of almost a form of idolatry. It's, it's taking your eyes off of the calling that God has set before you, and it's, it's, it's trying to find out what other people are saying. It's putting other people's opinions of us before God's calling for us. And, and that's why we have to be so clear about what our calling is, because it clarifies us. But I know that I, I can't literally please everybody. And this is so freeing. Think about it for a second. It's so freeing to understand this. Like, I can't meet with uh, everyone. I would love to. I can't save everyone, although I would love to see everyone come to know Jesus. I, I can't be everywhere at the same time. Um, I can't do everything. But what can I do? I can do what I am called to do. I can love my wife. I can lead my son. And I can use my gifts to pastor this church. Those are the three things that I can do because I know my calling. Why does this matter? Why am I bringing all of this up? Because every controlling person has in common one thing. One thing. This is no matter who it is, right? Uh, whoever, whoever you're thinking about in your head right now that's controlling, I'm going to tell you, this, they have one thing in common. Are you ready? You want to know what it is? Someone who allows it. Yeah. The person that is controlling has a problem, there's no doubt. That's not, this isn't a template of how we want you to behave. But so do we if we wrongly allow it to happen in our lives. And that's why calling is so important because you have to realize when something is taking you off from what you should be looking at, from what you should be doing, that that's not healthy and you need to recognize it and you need to learn to assert your own agency in that situation. And we're going to talk about ways that you can deal with that person and, and, and things can get better, right? One of the things that's a problem with controlling people is you begin to feel hopeless in the situation. Like, how is this even going to get better? But we have to clarify our calling. Know what you're called to do. Number one, know what you're called to do. What is number two? Know, this is hard, know when someone is trying to control you. You might think, well, maybe that's basic because, you know, uh, I can think of very specific examples when people have tried to control me and I'm not talking about in a physical sense, although that is terrible in, in, in its own separate conversation. But what I'm talking about here is, like, honestly, um, when, when people are trying to knock you off the plan of what God wants to do in your life, they can be really well-meaning people. They can be super, like, intentionally, like, love you. They can be pushing you in a way that they think is healthy, but what they're really doing is pushing you off, uh, off of the target from what God has set you on. And so Peter, really, that's what he's doing. He stands Jesus down. He says, Jesus, this isn't going to happen. Jesus, I'm not going to let this happen. Never, ever, 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 Lord, that is not going to happen. You are not going to die. You're not going to suffer. Not if I have anything to say about it. 
Let me ask you a question, though. Was Peter the worst guy that ever lived? No. I mean, was, was, was Peter, did he hate Jesus? No, definitely not. Like, he loved Jesus. Uh, did he have a plan to distract Jesus from his mission? No, he didn't. Like, fundamentally, in that moment, like, he was trying to exert his will over the, over the plan of God in Jesus' life. But why was he using it? Why was he trying to control Jesus in that moment? It was just simply because he did not understand the mission of God and, and, and in Jesus Christ. He didn't understand it. He didn't get it. And so it could be a really good person, a really well-intentioned person, a mentor, a friend, a, a family member, somebody that has your best interest at heart. But even that person, you got to be really careful, by the way, not to take this too far, but sometimes people can try to uh, manipulate us off of the mission that God has called us to. They might be trying to guilt us or isolate us from our friends. If we see that happening, you've got to learn the signs. Know when someone is trying to control you. Learn that the mission that God has set you on, that you are, that you, the purpose that he has created for you, the thing that, that gives you meaning in life, once you see that somebody's trying to push you off of that or manipulate you, like the person that just says, like, rescue me, save me, bail me out all the time. And you spend all your energy running around trying to fix them and save them and rescue them. And you realize that, you know what, they're not learning anything. Um, that's that's a, a form of control. There's another one. What about that person that tries to get you to meet the needs of people that you were never designed by God to meet? The person that says, you know, what you need to do is if you don't go to the, you know, to this the, the shelter or you, need, you don't need to, you know, go and serve in the way that I serve, that, uh, you know, you're not a true Christian and they guilt you. And then you think, well, I, you know, I guess that's what Jesus would do. So maybe I got to do and get involved in all these other things. And so you find yourself saying, yes, 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 but you're being controlled and pushed and uh, you were never designed to meet those specific needs. And so that could be a, 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 control, a, a controlling influence in your life. And what Jesus says is this, no, listen, Peter, this is my lane. This is what I was, my purpose is for. This is what I am supposed to be doing. Uh, my purpose is what the Father sent me to do. So number one, you have to, you have to really understand what it is that people are trying to do to control you. You need to learn to recognize it. No, actually, number one is you need to know your purpose, and then you need to understand when people are trying to uh, control you. And finally, number three, oh, this one. This one's so hard. It really is difficult. Number three, know when it's time to draw a line in the sand. This is, this is really difficult. And you, this is exactly what Jesus does, you know. I mean, the reason that it's hard is because it takes courage, you know, and, and courage is that thing, like, we talk about it, we really, in stories and in literature and even in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, like, courage is elevated, but we very often don't practice that in interpersonal relationships. We are cowards in that area. We think of courage in terms of, like, battles and external things, but sometimes courage is moral courage, and moral courage is knowing when it's time to, to draw a line in the sand. So what Jesus did, he turned to Peter and he said, get behind me. You're, you're playing for the wrong team, Peter. You're literally playing for Satan. He says in verse 23, you're a hindrance to me. You're not helping me. You're hurting me. You're, not, you're, you're, you're showing up at the wrong time. You're saying the wrong things. You think you're being helpful. You are not being helpful. You are setting your minds not on the things of God. You're not acting out of your spiritual nature. You're acting out of your fleshly nature. You're listening to a whole bunch of garbage and you're throwing it on me. Don't do that guy. Don't be that guy, he says, you know, get behind me. It's like strong words from Jesus, like incredibly strong words. 
And so I want you to work with me for a minute. I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of a mental exercise uh, into the hypothetical. And Jesus, um, you know, Jesus says, this is God's will. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Imagine what would it be like if Jesus, just, just mentally go there with me, if Jesus was a codependent with, if, with Peter, right? Uh, if Jesus was codependent and Peter says, Jesus, this will never happen. And Jesus says, whoa, okay, um, well, Peter, um, okay, now don't get too upset. Um, really don't want to confront here. Um, okay, and then Peter says, well, Jesus, I'm sorry, but if you do this, you know, I'm not going to be your disciple anymore. And if I, and if I leave, you know, Jesus, I'm, tell, I'm telling you, like, it's probably John is going to probably go with me, right? And Andrew, of course. And, like, there's probably other disciples. And I, I think this whole thing could fall apart, Jesus. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be really mad if you, if you go through with this. I'm going to unfollow you on Instagram. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, you're going to pay dearly for this. And so um, what, what would happen if Jesus would have been like, oh, man, oh, this is bad. You know, okay, Peter, listen. Okay, all right, fine. All right, I'm not going to die. I promise I won't go through with that. That was for mankind, but this is for you. You know, <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. You know, of course, it's absurd. But in the absurdity, I want you to understand, like, which role are you playing in life? Because Jesus is God, and his identity was not wrongly wrapped up in Peter, but what if it was? What if, what if Jesus had responded to Peter the way that you would have responded? Oh, well, Peter, you're just being a little extreme, but okay, and maybe we can, you know, come to a meeting of the minds and, like, compromise, and, you know, no, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and he said, look, it's incredible, and this is why it's honestly so incredibly dangerous to play this game with people, because we need to know exactly what our calling is, or else we don't know when we're being pushed out of it, and so we need to recognize when somebody's trying to take it away. It's really, really clear. Recognize when somebody is trying to take away your calling or control you in a way that moves you off of that. And um, so what if someone in their dysfunction and they're distracting you from serving a, a higher calling, what do you do? So, you know, um, I think probably one of the root problems of this is that we just idolize what other people think. Like we're constantly going through our minds and going like, okay, did I, you know, and it's not, we, we don't want to be offensive in life, and I'm not trying to say that, but we really are always trying to, like, mitigate against um, creating conflict where there shouldn't be any. And so, and, and that's, a, that's a good and healthy thing. We don't want to create conflict where there should, should be some, or there shouldn't be any. But we, we tend to go a little bit overboard in that. And because we idolize sometimes what people think, we walk away from what God thinks. And uh, so God calls us to courage in life and in relationships. So... How do we, where do we go when we recognize that we've got this sort of unhealthy, like I call it the unhealthy dance. You know, you have two parties and you're walking through life together, in relationship together. Maybe you cho cho chose them uh, like, you know, uh, a friend, but maybe you didn't choose them. They were like parents or, you know, kids or familial relationships. How, you know, but still it's a dance. And how do you know when, you know, when do we recognize um, that we've got an unhealthy dance? And I, I think this would be really freeing, honestly, like for, for those of you guys who are, kind of thinking through this, and you realize that, man, you know, I kind of am a little bit of a moral coward when it comes to people trying to exert their control over my life, um, is, is this, that this is really freeing. Uh, the, the relationships that you have, every one of them, whether you chose them or not, um, they're a combination of what you have created uh, and, and also what you have allowed. 
So, um, so basically, you, there's some of it that um, you, you've poured into patterns. You've created patterns. One of the things that I want to caution you against is to think of the controlling person as being outside uh, of you. Like the relationship, I mean, they're outside of you, but the relationship is very much a part of you, and you're not a passive participant in that. And so uh, the fact that that, that person is, is, is controlling you, you have a part to play in it. I'm going to show you that in a second. But it's a combination of what you have created and what you've allowed. Um, and so, you know, you might have rightly or purposefully created uh, a pattern in this relationship, but you also have passively allowed some things to happen. You've, you've allowed things. And so the next thought is the application of it all. So this is just more of a statement of philosophy here, but, but the application is in the next slide, and it's this. If you don't like what you have, change what you expect and also what you accept. And I realized, okay, the thing about relationship messages uh, in particular is like they, we, they can be kind of touchy-feely, but this, is, this one is about hard, hard work. And nothing that's worth having and nothing that's worth attaining to, you know, doesn't involve a lot of hard work. If you want to have a really good marriage, you know, it's going to be a lot of work. There's going to be a lot of like hard, hard, deep, you know, just soul gut-wrenching work. I hate to tell you that. Like, I mean, if you're, you know, thinking of marriage as something else, more idealistic, it's really a lot of hard work and a lot of benefit. But, um, but what, we, what we've done is um, we're, not, we're not willing to make the courageous moves and the hard work that it takes to make the relationship better. But anyway, how do you draw the line in the sand? Um, how do we do this? And there's several ways, and, and I'm just going to throw out a few. Number one is you're going to have to say some things a little bit differently than you normally talk. You're going to have to say some things like, hey, I'm not going to let you talk to me that way. Um, you might say it like, like this, like, I love you, but that's inappropriate. My wife is so beautiful. Like, I love the way that she does this. She'll hear me talk about something, and she'll say, oh, honey, like, hey, I, you know, I love you, but that was inappropriate. Like, you shouldn't have said that to Blaze in that way. You know, or you shouldn't have said that, to, you know, or the way that you're processing something. You're getting close to a line, and she'll call me out on it. And, uh, and, and in a controlling relationship, it's always important to, like, say, like, the way you're talking to me is totally wrong, and it's inappropriate. I care about you, but you can't talk to me that way. And, and, and like so many of us, we are, we're, we, we, uh, we're hearing this and we're pushing back in our mind because we, we dread. This is terrorizing, like the idea of doing this to a controlling person. And the reason why is what I'm going to say next, and that is what happens when you do all this. When you tell somebody that's throwing a fit, they're yelling and they're screaming, like, and you say, I'm not going to tolerate this. I'm not going to do it. And, you know, I, honestly, we do this to two-year-olds. Anybody like had a two-year-old or have a two-year-old or been a parent before? Like, you understand. You know, you, you have this like two-year-old throwing a tantrum and you go up to me like, you are not, uh, I, I expect more f from you. You're not going to be like this in rose hours. You're not going to be a little terrorist, you know, uh, that's just not going to, and so you draw the line. We do that all the time with a two-year-old. And, and honestly, I mean, good parents do that, but sometimes we give the kid a candy bar and we say, all right, fine, you know, whatever, we'll deal with it when we get home. But, um, but mostly, like, it's really good for you to draw a line in a, in a parenting relationship. If you never say no, if you never draw a line, your kid literally will grow up to be a terrorist. And people won't want to be around them, and they'll be four years old and not adults, no kids want to play with them and all that. And it's, a lot of it is because we haven't drawn healthy boundaries. And what I'm talking about here is relationship boundaries. So, 
Another thing is, is that when people say, you know, uh, do this or else, you know, they throw out the guilt or, you know, you just refuse to own it. You say, like, I'm not going to own the guilt that you're trying to put on me. You know, well, you're the cause of all of my problems. You're the cause of all my failures. And if we really go back to it in the root of our relationship, you know, you've been responsible for all of these things and you are the reason that I am who I am today. That's, that's like, I mean, if you've heard that, that's somebody trying to put a load of guilt on you and they want you to carry that for them. And guess what you can say back? You can just say, look, I'm not gonna own the guilt that you're trying to put on me. That's hard to do because if you don't do that, then what will happen is you've just reinforced their behavior and it will continue to happen. So uh, what is going to happen once this, let's say you courageously put this into practice and you begin to draw a line in the sand, what's the result? The expectation is this, that most of the time, I'm just, I hate to tell you, I'd love to say this, that a control freak will go, wow, thank you so much for pointing out my, my dysfunction. I, I'm so much better for it. And I'm just going to put into a place, uh, you know, remedial situations and I'm going to be better. And thank you so much for your courage. No, they're not. They're going to double down, right? They're going to get angrier and they're going to get more expressive and they're going to get hurt because they're upset. You've just called them out. You've destroyed their, their conception of what this relationship is. You've actually torn it down and they have to like rebuild it in their mind through time. But in the short run, in the short run, it's going to be very, very difficult to do. In the long run, I have to believe through faith that your relationships will get better because of this. So uh, relationships that are a combination of what you've created, but also of what you have allowed. So when you change the equation and you start to say, I'm going to allow less of your dysfunctional behavior, and I'm going to encourage more of your positive behavior, you begin to take control out of the hands of a control freak, okay? And so uh, I call it redefining the dance, okay? To realize that this person is hurt, you know, they're not going to respond the way that you want to if you draw the line in the sand. But you're redefining it. You're redefining the dance. It's so difficult. But again, you have to believe that on the other side of all of this, all of this work, that things are going to get better in this relationship. Um, let's get real for a second, though. <laughs> I want to have, this is a real talk with Pastor Scott. It's so easy to talk about those control freaks over there right? It's so easy to think about, to talk about them. But let me ask you this. Are you like me? When sometimes you look in the mirror and like you see king of the control freaks right on the forehead and it's like looking back at you, you know that's you. I mean, you know, the motto, God loves you and has a perfect plan for your life. Like, you know, for, sometimes I think that my motto is God loves you and I have a perfect plan for your life. You know, that's, that's a control freak. And I know that sometimes like I can slide into that, but I want to, and listen really carefully, like, I don't make a good God, and neither do you. Neither do you. Do you realize that you can't, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try to exert your control over your spouse, over your relationships, you cannot change that other person. You can't change your spouse. You don't have the power to. Now, does God, does God have the power to change them Absolutely. Absolutely he does. 
Um, let me ask you helicopter parents, as parents that are, you know, you're trying to everything, you're trying to control your kids, trying to change the outcomes, trying to push them and manipulate them and to being exactly what you want because they got to go to Harvard and it's going to be Harvard and blah, 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 you know, and you're just helicoptering them all over and making decisions all the time. You're hurting them, by the way, you know, and so do, do, you cannot control their outcomes, so don't even try. But God has, does God have the ability to, to, to change them? He does. He, he does. God has the ability to both open and close doors. Powerfully, God has this ability. And so we need to stop trying to be like God. Period. We need to start surrendering to God. Jesus goes on from what he just said to Peter, the whole get behind me Satan thing. What's the next thing he says? What's, what's verse 24 look like? Jesus then he told his disciples, so now he turns back from Peter and he's looking at his disciples and he says to all of them, but Peter mostly, right? He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So to, both to the control freaks and those that interact with him on a regular basis, this is the thing. It's not about your will. It's not about your will. It's about his will. It's, it's not about you. It's about him. And what he's saying to Peter is like, you conceived of me as this Jesus that you thought was, I don't know, going to go take over the Roman Empire, you know, pick up an AK-47 and go commando for Jesus. And, and so uh, Peter was trying to fit Jesus into this theological box. And you know, you can't box Jesus up. He is what he is, right? He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of the universe. And so Jesus says, that's not me. I'm me and you need to get behind me and start following me, and then you need to take up your cross and follow me. Guess what taking up the cross looks like, Peter? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, suffering. That's what it looks like. You're going to suffer a little bit. The thing is, is that, uh, um, you know, I, I love these kinds of messages because they are, they're hard, but it reminds us that spiritual work is hard, and it's worth it. Like, we can go through life just taking the easy path in relationships and just trying the easy thing out, and, you know, it's so, it, it's so easy, right? It's, it's friction-free. But God wants us to take the hard work of the soul and to do the hard work of loving people who can be controlling and demanding, and that is life. Don't build the wall. It's worth loving these people for who God made them to be. We don't have the power to control but we can place our will in the hands of a savior. In his will, he can take over, and it is so freeing to be able to say, I have the confidence before God to live according to my purpose, to live according to my calling, and then to recognize when people are trying to push me off of that, and then to learn to draw a line and to say, no, this is a line. You cannot talk to me that way. You cannot control me in that way that we can stand before God, like, it's so, it's so freeing. Like, it's so freeing to say, you know, I, uh, there's five things I could do that would make you happier with me as a person, this, this hypothetical individual, but I have three things that God has called me to do right now. And if those five things take these three things and diminish them, my answer is what? No. No. Now, by the way, let me just say this. It's not our place to be rude. And I'm not saying, in, you know, like, you know, granny calls you up and she's saying, you never come and visit me. And you're supposed to go like, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, don't do that to granny, right? That's not nice. 
Hey, be nice to your grandma, all right? I, what I am saying is this. I'm saying, you know, you got to learn when you're, when you have to see it coming. And, and you know what? Visit your granny, right? She really needs you. Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but honestly, like, it's so freeing to live in the parameters of what God wants you to do. Live courageously. Do the hard work. And with that, let me pray for you. This is not one of those prayers, by the way, where I'm going to have you raise your hand and say, I'm the control freak. I'm not going to have you like point to somebody else, like point to somebody in this room that you feel is a control freak. You know, uh, none of that. But what I am going to say is this. I want to pray for courage, moral courage, that you would do the hard things that you would begin to take stock of your life and say, what is it that I'm engaged in that is... um, trying to placate or please this other person that I know is not right. And, I, and I've, become, I've become less of who God has called me to be because of that, that I'm not going to do it anymore.